You are listening to Starshot, a Cortex actual play. I'm Kirby, your host and game master. The crashing in the other room uh, is loud. You can hear glass shattering. You can hear Carl, who doesn't need to breathe, audibly gasp. He begins to evaluate whether or not it's better for him to keep the door closed or to remain in the room with whatever it is that just crashed through the window. He's already warned you that there were sightings of horned baboons outside. And the woman who was uh, pinning you down is now scuttling over uh, to the doorframe, using it as cover as she tentatively glances into the other room to try to evaluate what's going on. Held in her hand is a very odd-looking gun that looks modular in design, uh, looks high-tech, and certainly not a t- the type of gun that civilians such as yourself would have. That said, you finally have a moment to breathe and find yourself uh, able to get up without someone pinning you with supernatural strength, evidently. Uh, what do you do? If she is over by one side of the door, I assume it's like a doorway. I want to peek at the other side. So I assume she has her back to the wall looking around the corner. I assume there's two spots to do that. There is. You want to get on the other side of the door here to do that? Yeah. I think when you move, this does cause her to startle a little bit. I don't think she was expecting you to actually participate. Uh, but your position at the door allows you better field of view of this adjacent room. Uh, so inside, you don't quite see it at first because of the long tables that are placed here in the center of the room, right? Uh, but you can hear it like thrashing about. You see the horns first uh, before you see the creature. Uh, and then the creature uh, rises uh, to his feet. Uh, it doesn't quite have like the hands or stature of a baboon. Mm-hmm. From toe to the tip of their horns, they stand at just a little over five feet tall. And, but they do have that same like familiar face of baboon's face uh, from the old world uh, that you surely have seen pictures of i i don't recall Mm -hmm. how how old is corbin exactly does corbin remember old earth i i don't i don't know if he does i mean i'm sure he remembers it um i'm gonna say that he's 35 35 okay so that would definitely make you one of the younger spacefaring colonists that arrived here then for sure uh yeah absolutely so yeah, I think you perhaps then have only seen pictures of old Earth baboons, but these are essentially, they have like this mane that is uh, white uh, with splotches of orange fur uh, in them. They have these very ferocious uh, teeth. And this one here, uh, out of the two horns that they have flanking their eyes, uh, one of the horns looks like it's been broken off. This creature clambers onto the uh, table it seems highly disorientated and assessing the damage you can see behind it that it's not only the glass uh, that shattered um, it's part of the wall because this creature is too big for these small windows that are lined uh, against this cement uh, dome of the guardians of eden right it staggers to and fro uh, the woman 
uh, doesn't hesitate when she turns the uh, corner gun at the ready and begins uh, firing at the uh, baboon. A couple of shots and this ferocious creature is dead from the weapon. Uh, I would I'm, I do want to point out that the weapon has a very like muffled uh, sound to its reports uh, when it fires and and when it does fire it, it does seem to still be firing like ballistics but its gunshot wounds definitely tear through this uh, creature and it falls over dead uh, that said you still hear sounds from above and while this woman is approaching this horn baboon you hear uh you hear a door opening the one other door here in the kitchen and you see someone's panic eye like peering out through the little crack in the door who's there the door opens a little bit more and you see a face in this dark room uh, judging from the low lighting that's filtering in through the door it looks like it's just the kitchen pantry mm-hmm. the face of a light brown skin uh, skin former colleague of yours this colleague used to work with you you used to work for Goodson Foundation, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, this colleague used to work uh, with you at the Goodson Foundation. Uh, he worked at a different department doing different things that you're not aware of, but you generally understand that he is supposed to be a brilliant man, a doctor uh, by the name of Dr. Orson Irving. Wait, I know you. Dr. Irving? In a very, like, hushed voice, he says, uh, Come in here, you idiots. Before she comes back, what are you doing out there? What are you doing in there? Trying to take shelter. Uh, come on, before she comes back. Uh, I, all right, and I, I go in there. You go into the room. As you approach the pantry in the other room, you actually hear some more of that muffled gunfire. Carl comes scrambling into the kitchen uh, as you hear the muffled shots of gunfire in the adjacent room since you're moving toward the pantry you don't quite have a view of that room anymore but carl glancing over his shoulder seems very concerned about the escalating situation he doesn't question it a moment as he follows you uh, into the pantry I, I'm, I'm assuming that i also motioned to him to follow me too you find yourself uh, in this small pantry. The There are half-empty shelves that line the wall here. There's a single light bulb overhead, but that light is turned out right now. And Dr. Irving is essentially moving a rug uh, to then reveal a trapdoor that, uh, that seems to go under the building itself. How would you explain like your relationship with your co-workers at the time when you were still working for Goodson Foundation? I don't think there was much of one. I mean, as we just said, I was probably one of the youngest people there, but I would say that Corbin had a talent for the bioroid work that he was doing, and it put a lot of the older people to shame, I would say. So they respected what I could do, but they didn't love it. I don't think I made friends, let's put it that way. And I don't. Th- I think, given uh, Doctor Irving's status and field of research, I don't think he. I think at best he recognizes your face, and squinting in the uh, dark here as he is hefting up uh, what is basically a 
hatch really um more so than as a uh, trap door actually i think the trap door opens um so he's squinting at you in the dark and he opens this trap door which reveals a separate hatch that then ha uh, he begins like turning the wheel for to open and while he does so he says do i'm sorry have have we met before do yeah i mean 10 years is a long time but uh I used to work at the Goodson Foundation. I know you were there. Corbin Jones? Sorry, I don't think it rings a bell. And he gets the hatch open, and he begins to clamber uh, down into the darkness there. Uh, Carl places his only hand um, on your side and says, mm -hmm. I am glad to see that there are other humans here that aren't trying to kill us. I was worried that you all had devolved into, well, frankly, warmongering apes. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's uh, far from the truth, but we'll we'll have to see. Your guess is as good as mine. So you climb down. Doc closes the hatch uh, behind you, and it's about ten rungs down when you finally enter what appears to be an underground bunker of some sort. Lights begin to flicker on uh, as, at this point, uh, Dr. Irving is getting the place ready. He has already gone over to the far wall um, at a large breaker, and he's already like flipping switches. And one by one, uh, lights are turning on. The equipment here, highly specialized equipment, also begins to power up. Uh, there seems to be a myriad of items here that is not too unexpected for a Guardians of Eden uh, institution to have in the city. It is kind of surprising to see it out here in the wilderness, um, especially in stark contrast to what you saw above. What are you doing here, Doc? I could not skew that. And he's reaching into a desk drawer that uh, actually most notably has his nameplates uh, on the desk <laughs> and he pulls out a uh i think he pulls pulls out a bottle of wine that he begins to try to uncork i've been trying to save this for a more special occasion but i suppose there's no special occasions better than uh perhaps dying <laughs> uh would you like some sure and that's when Carl also chimes in. I would love some. Yeah. <laughs> so, the three of you find yourselves in this underground bunker. The muffled sounds of the guns, uh, gun above that's firing off can no longer be heard. In fact, you don't hear quite anything above ground. Sitting himself by the ladder, uh, like directly in front of it, uh, and with a gun of his own, although certainly not as high-tech as the gun that you saw uh, above ground. I think Dr. Irving sits with his glass of wine and just stares up at the hatch. Okay. Again, uh, Doc, I don't see many uh, Guardian outposts this well outfitted. What uh, kind of work are you doing here? I think there's a moment there where you can see some indifference in his eyes, uh, but he ultimately smiles warmly. Uh, raising his glasses of toasting you, says, Well, of course, this place is off the grid, and for good reasons. Uh, we've been working on things that the uh, 
perhaps the general public is not ready for. Tell me, I suspect you're not Guardians of Eden uh, yourself, uh, judging from the lack of, well, response. Resting the gun in his lap, he uses his free hand to tap his temple. Uh, what do you do? Pretty uh, cryptic answer, I I suppose. But um, yeah, uh, we're not we're not guardians. Uh, basically, if you want to know what I've been up to, uh, ran from some some creature, fell into a cave, met Carl here, um, ran out of the miasma, as it were, and um, found myself here looking for an environmental suit. Ran into that crazy whatever she is up there. Well, I suppose that's one word to describe her. It's not really her fault, to be honest, but I think things are changing. Tell me, what is it uh, that you do? Are you still with Goodson Foundation? Um, I I think I've seen your face around before. <laughs> I'm not uh, working hard enough then. Um, no, I haven't been with Goodson for probably 10 years at this point. Just been keeping to myself out here in the fringe. I don't tend to mess with civilized folk anymore. He takes a pull from his glass of wine. And then it would seem that I left uh, shortly after you did. I haven't been at Goodson Foundation for... Hmm, I suppose today would be the 8th anniversary. <laughs> uh, one hell of an anniversary, huh? I suppose not too many people celebrate the uh, the anniversaries of uh, terrible companies uh, that they've already left. Uh, I raise my glass to when he says that. I think Carl tries to raise his glass as well. Mm -hmm. uh, he is uh, putting his artificial nose uh, at the rim of the glass of wine that he has <laughs> in his hand and uh, smelling it. Um, and yeah, you can see his eyes like flicker as he processes this uh, and says, Oh, wow, this seems to be a fine vintage from from the old world. You know, you know your wine, Carl? I do not know wine, but I can detect notes uh, within the smell. Isn't that something that you humans pretend that you can do? <laughs> see, I, I, I love this guy. Quite, uh, quite an interesting model you have there. Uh, and that's obviously Irving talking. Orson shifts in his seat, taking a more relaxed pose. Uh, evidently, the wine is already coursing through his system, and he's now like more lazily keeping a watch of the hatch above uh, to make sure that no one or, well, anything uh, gets through the hatch. So he looks over to Car uh, Carl, giving Carl the once-over in a very similar fashion as Carl has done to you several times last episode, if I recall. This must be one of the newer models uh, for nav units. Uh, wasn't there only a few batches uh, made for the Aspiration? Uh, why, don't, why don't you ask him? I think he's got a pretty good idea of what he's about. Carl seems uh, distracted. At this point, he has actually placed his glass of wine down. He's begun to examine the array of gizmos and gadgets that seem to line the walls of this underground bunker and he gets to a point where he's actually examining uh, what appears to be 
parts on a table that would actually be very useful to someone like Carl who's been busted up, missing an arm, and such. I go over to him, um, not like right up to him, but see what he's doing and ask him, uh, hey, uh, Carl, you need, uh, you need some help? You want a uh, new arm? Oh, sure. Just help yourself to whatever you want. Hey, l- listen, listen, Doc. Either this person here gets a new arm and helps us escape, or we die. So you can take your pick. He basically turns away, refocusing on the hatch above as he continues to maul over his wine. I think Carl here uh, takes a look at the several parts. There is like a arm here, actually, very fortuitous. Uh, Oh, just a whole arm? Uh, no, it's in several parts. So you okay. do. It's in several parts. Is it's not the type of arm that uh, this nav unit should be uh, using. In fact, is the type of arm that would belong to a biroid that's like designed for manual labor. So it's huge. Yeah. So it's huge, <laughs> and also like some of the synthetic skins like already on there as well. So you get the impression of. Uh, of biceps um Mm -hmm. just due to how biroids are designed where like their partial appearance is make them more human yeah human in appearance right Uh, exactly so i think carl takes a seat and he says why of course i would appreciate if you would give me a hand (laughs) you got it uh it it may not uh May not be a perfect fit, but I think we can get it functional for you. And um, I guess Corbin gets to work. Yeah. I think if it wasn't for the looming threat above, and if it wasn't for the fact that this biroid arm shouldn't go on this model, right? Uh, we probably wouldn't do a roll. But because we're kind of low on time, and mm-hmm. because this isn't the right uh, arm well, it is the right arm, but it's not <laughs> the right arm uh, for this biroid. Uh, yeah, let's go ahead and have you do a roll. So for our listeners at home, uh, we have started to shift over to some of the Cortex Prime mechanics, and I will actually be using, uh, for your context, the Doom Pool, which is a optional mechanic that you can find in the new Prime system. Uh, we have per request named it the danger zone uh so i will be rolling dice from the danger zone all right uh so what are you rolling for this as far as i can tell i would have to be would this be a crafting roll or would this be a operate roll i think this is more of a crafting roll uh because it's not like pre-made you're gonna have to do some work on it um, to yeah. make it work, and it's not even the finished arm as uh, previously stated. So I think this is going to be crafting roll. So my sheet says that craft goes with social. Is that right? Oh, uh, the attributes aren't tied to any specific skills. Oh, okay. Um, they can be mixed and matched. So craft would probably go with um, mental in this context. Okay. Okay. Great. So I'm doing a d10 for mental, d6 for craft. And I think since I am former company man and used to be workforce behavioral technician, I think I would know that. So I'm going to add that. So a D8. I think that's it. So 
Uh, so you did roll a hitch, and for our listeners at home, uh, we are not calling jinxes jinxes anymore. The uh, nat, nat ones that were being rolled, uh, we are calling them hitches to be more in line with the new Cortex Prime rolls. And so it looks like uh, it looks like we have a total of eleven. Let me go ahead and roll from the danger pool. I rolled an opportunity, <laughs> so uh, yeah, uh, you actually blow this out of the park. Uh, with a heroic success. So you're going to get a d6 for a hero die. Uh, but on that same note, I am going to buy that hitch that you had rolled, which was a d6. And I, basically, I get to add that to my danger zone for future rolls. So you get a second plot point. Okay. You go to work on this. Um, I think it takes you probably 10 minutes to fix up the arm and then beginning to like apply it onto Carl's frame. While you're doing that, doc the doctor is just occasionally glancing over in your direction as you're going to work. Uh, careful not to look when you have like the soldering tools and bright lights flashing and <laughs> all this stuff going on, right? Uh, as you apply this, the hatch remains unmoved. The doctor remains unmoved from his chair and after a total of 15 minutes you managed to put a new arm onto carl who flexes the fingers uh and does note that uh he did an adequate job given his frame he will need to be mindful in adjusting like his balance because <laughs> this is a big arm compared to a small frame. Other than that, uh, Carl, how does it feel? It feels empowering. Good. Quick, give me something to smash. <laughs> uh, let's see. I'm assuming there's like a crate or boxes or something. Yeah, there is. So, oh, uh... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, try that out. <laughs> so, uh, actually, I think while you're like you're looking around trying to consider what you can smash in here, and uh, I would say like the doctor is kind of concerned by this. He reaches <laughs> for a nearby um, can of soda and just really smashes that, and he's very satisfied with this. Uh, so he gets up from the uh, chair, <laughs> and he's just basically doing what looks like arm stretches. To be honest, um, just testing out the uh <laughs> just testing out this new arm throwing a couple jabs in the air um testing his like full range of uh motion and while we're having this moment of levity yeah. you hear a creak as the hatch begins uh as the wheel to the hatch begins to move at this point the doctor has already finished his second glass of wine uh, in this short period of time and very shakily um, he clutches onto the sidearm that he has produced um, leveling up toward the hatch what do you do so the first thing is uh, trying to find some cover because she has a gun so I try to steer Carl in that direction if he hasn't noticed that she's coming in I'm sure he has but uh, so the two of you um, finds uh, like some cabinets and shelving and stuff to uh, duck behind, I think. And the doctor who is seated not quite directly below the hatch, but uh, giving him full view of that ladder well uh, leading up, right? Eyes glued skyward 
and mm-hmm. the hatch finally opens. Uh, it opens to a, a dark room, uh, which is the pantry. And uh, basically, I think we have a shot of just basically a, a dark hole, right? And then a moment later, uh, the head of a horned baboon uh, drops down and an instant later uh, the woman that had been uh, basically kicking ass upstairs it seems uh, drops Mm -hmm. down she is ragged she's definitely taken some wounds of her own uh, but nevertheless she drops down uh, without using the ladder at all uh, and very shakily uh, collects herself the doctor actually lowers his gun as he is kind of mouth agape at the wounds that are actively sewing itself shut on this woman. Um, basically, across her torso, she took a very nasty... Uh, it looks like she may have been pierced by one of the horns <clears throat> of these uh, baboons. And uh, that is actively like sewing itself shut. It's very slow. Uh, but it's just quick enough that you can observe it uh, in real time. She staggers uh, forward one step, two step uh, toward the doctor who quickly raises the gun again and then she collapses. Uh, and uh, I think I, Corbin comes out of the hiding place and I, I just say, what is going on? Who is she? Dr. Orson Irving uh, gets up from his chair, setting the gun aside as he basically checks the pulse of this woman. Her chest is still rising, so she's still breathing. Uh, And he's looking at his watch uh, as he continues to uh, count the heartbeats. Uh, Without looking at you, he says, You're more than welcome to the hazmat suits uh, over there on the corner, but I suggest you get going. This is, uh, this isn't your department. <laughs> okay, and instead of doing that, I, um, try to help him treat her. Uh, what's that look like? Uh, well, what what is he, what is he, he's checking her pulse right now, right? Yeah. When you move over to try to help out, he, at this point, seems satisfied with the pulse uh, and mm-hmm. has actually started to uh, try to pick up the woman. Um, and I think this isn't so much... Uh, we might get to a point where we need you to make a treat roll, but I think the more important role here is you convincing him that you're here to help because he, his demeanor has like changed from being very nervously like giddy, right? Uh, about yeah. the situation to uh, serious, like almost on term of a dime, right? Yeah. Um, so I think the more important role here is trying to convince them that you're here to help. Uh, and yeah. At this at this point, I would say that Corbin is very curious. I mean, in the span of I assume hours in actual game time, he has come across two what two bioroid type beings that completely destroy his original thought behind what bioroids are right and i mean that's exactly what he's that's exactly why he left the the goodson foundation right like he knew 
something was off and he's been trying to find out what it is. So I think more than being there to help this person specifically, it's what the hell is all of this? This is a new zone, you know, of thinking. So I think maybe the first thing to know if I can even convince him is to make, can I make a role ba to see if I can sort of piece together enough that would impress him to have him let me help. Does that make sense? Since I have bioroid design and this, and you know, I have knowledge of bioroids in general. Can I, cause he doesn't know what I used to do. He didn't really care about that. So I'm thinking maybe there is something that I know that I could help him with. Okay. Uh, I think this is like the perfect chance to also use uh, the new effect dice mechanics. Yeah. So uh, the reason why, even though you're not like rolling against them in this particular situation, um, you're just going to be rolling against like a, a normal difficulty. Basically, the effect die that you're cho uh, going to choose is going to just represent like how well you can piece this together, how well you know like the science beyond behind all this, and that is all to say like if you're successful um, without spending plot points, you're you're going to get an asset equal to whatever size your effect die is. I think since I'm I'm looking at my sheet, I have one d6 hero die and two d8 hero die from last episode which I get to use until this episode. So I want to use some of those. Uh, keep in mind, it is one plot point per hero die to okay. use. And typically you want to roll first and then decide if you want to use them. Okay. Uh, so, so let's just start with a normal pool. So I'm going to roll my no, which will be mental. Oh, okay, I'm going to roll. Uh, while you're rolling that, so basically how my danger zone works when now that I have multiple dice mm -hmm. is I can roll as many dice as I want. Um, that so long as it's in the pool, I still only add two dice together. If I choose to add more than the two dice together, like say, like right now I have three d6. Let's say I want to add all three d6 together. When those d6s will become spent and removed from my pool, mm. so that's the kind of cost for like raising the stakes like that. I, what I'm gonna roll, I've got my mental, which is d10. I've got my no. For Bioroid Design, which is D6, since I'm trying to figure out if I know enough to help. Uh -huh. um, and then a D8 for former company man, based on my behavioral technician for Bioroids. Okay, yeah, that, that sounds good. Seem right. Yeah. And I am I am going for effect here, because I do, I do want him to be convinced. Yeah, absolutely. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So for our listeners at home... Uh, Corbin has rolled a d6, d8, d10. Uh, he rolled a total of 12 and is going to pick the d8 for his effect die. Uh, so I'm going to roll against Corbin, 3d6 from the danger zone. All right, so perfect. Uh, so Corbin, I think <laughs> he rolled, uh, you rolled a 12, I rolled an 8. Yeah. Uh, so you win this roll, and because your effect die was a d8, I'm going to give you a free assets uh die right now uh, keep in mind it still works like normal assets in which case is only good for this uh for the scene or unless you spend plot points to make it last longer uh, but the asset that we're creating here is a d8 i think a d8 strong hypothesis uh asset is probably like the best way we can approach this here 
yeah uh, basically like good you don't have, good yeah. guess yeah yeah <laughs> basically because you don't have like the means to and, and you're cr- trying to quickly do this too so you don't have the means to do the research right now so you're just kind of picking up from what you already know and making an educated guess so yeah i think the educated guess asset is where you're going to get <laughs> and okay. so yeah uh in the fiction what does this look like are you are you just piecing this together quietly? Or are you talking out loud? Like, yeah, yeah. I basically, I would say that Corbin goes over there, looks at what he's doing, and is sort of muttering under his breath, but also loud enough for the doctor to hear about what he's seeing, right? And so, what we've seen from what you're just you've described is this woman jumping down the hole, collapsing, but is stitching herself up in real time, basically. Her body is, anyway. Yeah. So, I guess Corbin would be sitting there and basically talking about, you know, some kind of fusion between, you know, machine and man, basically. Right? So I think he would be talking about that. He would basically be saying, like, this is new, this is this is different, this is a whole new realm of possibility for, you know, humans and bioroids. What makes it work? It must be some kind of other small robot within the robot, you know, that kind of stuff. Trying to work it out in real time. I think what this will be is uh, you still need to convince some, even though, like, you're, you're starting to hit the right like talking points you let's, still need to convince them that that you can help and let's also say you. yeah let's also say and i don't know what's around him but let's also say i like pass him the right tool and like whatever he's working on i assist him almost properly well we still need to do an influence role because you, okay. you like you it's not a matter of whether or not you can help treat it's a matter of whether or not you can convince let them you. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah to let you um so yeah i think uh we'll need a new role here this time it's going to be contested against him uh so uh and keep in mind like that's where the da asset that you just generated is going to factor in from yep so i'm gonna automatically add that d8 and we were saying i'm rolling a convince or a influence yeah you're rolling to influence some you're, you're trying to convince some uh to help you on what appears to be might be guardian of eden business you're you're just still not quite sure about that specifically but so that's my d8 plus my d6 for social plus another d6 for influence and then I think I can also use that D8 for Bioroid Technician in this case, can't I? No, I, I don't think so. Partly just because of the context of the situation. I want, okay. like, so to be abundantly clear, she doesn't look like a Bioroid. All right. Not to take away from, like, um, what you were establishing. Um, so, uh, which I'm, I'm going to meet you, like, halfway in that that's, regard. So yeah, that's fine. Know. I mean, just based yeah. on your description, that's what Corbin would think, because, yeah. Okay, I rolled at 11. Okay, and I rolled in a 7, so it looks like you managed to raise the stakes. So, yeah, I think what happens here, just to kind of 
paint the overall scene between these two roles is that as you're moving uh, to Dr. Orson Irving's side to help out um, in any way that you can, you're, you're kind of piecing things together. And as you said, you, you are like muttering stuff under your breath uh, and bringing this all together. And the doctor definitely knows this, but his main attention is on this woman, right? Uh, so he begins to try to lift the woman he can't do it on his own and so that's where you start helping out and mm -hmm. he i think he kind of snaps at you he says mr corbin jones i think you are overstaying your welcome uh can you lift her by yourself all right fine fine onto the table and so you bring her onto a, a nearby table and you realize that this is like, um, this is not unlike a operating table. Mm -hmm. He begins to uh, take out more equipment to like test her blood pressure um, uh, and begins to like generally like basically check on. So he begins to like check the rest of her vitals, blood pressure and every, everything like that. And he prepares a needle uh, that is attached to a wire going to a bag with this kind of green liquid and yeah he uh immediately uh, he basically sticks uh, this one with this needle and the two of you uh are now staring at one another um from across uh from across the table here and he says very awkwardly he says all right you, you want to help go make sure that the hatch is closed what I'm about to tell you can't leave this room. Uh, I don't say anything. I just go do it. Uh, when you climb down, I think Carl here is just kind of on standby in the backdrop as you reapproach the table. At this point, the Dr. Orson in like the half minute that you stepped away has um, wheeled over this uh, device that allows him to monitor her biometrics, uh, as it were, right? And you, that's the first time you actually get to see a name uh, on that screen, actually, as a scan is being done um, of this woman who's still, like, unconscious on the table. And you see the name Black Leopard. Black Leopard? The work that we're doing here, it's, uh, it's necessary. Or at least I used to think so. At this point, he is uh, writing some stuff down um, on his pad. As he's doing that, I say to him, um, necessary means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Well, trust me, I'm starting to learn that myself. Almost uh, be 50 years old next year. I'm only learning that now. And he shakes his head, um, eyes glued to the screen of his pad. Uh, in which case, uh, he doesn't even have the privacy setting on. So because these pads are kind of like translucent tablets, um, yeah. you can kind of make out uh, that he's looking at this woman's profile on a smaller screen. And you see... Actually, why don't you make a nose check? Okay. Uh, Ten. All right. A four. You're kind of catching a glimpse of this profile. You see, obviously, that Black Leopard is a code name instead you see a different name um on there uh on top of that you begin to also see like other notes uh so you tell me like out of all the stuff that you could feasibly like learn from reading stuff backwards on this tablet 
what is one question you want answered? The project itself, anything about the project itself. I mean, the name, Corbin doesn't really care about the name right now because he doesn't really care about his own name most of the time. Um, but anything that would let him know um, what Black Leopard is before this guy tells me or doesn't tell me. I think how this presents itself is that he's trying to check the status of several things. Um, Flailing across the screen, you do see the project name that says Midnight Orange, (laughs) which is a (laughs) uh, very peculiar name. Uh, Nevertheless, uh, he flits past this very quickly, getting to uh, the meat of what he's looking for. And you can see like a status of basically the nanotechnology that has been implanted within the uh, woman itself uh, as well as several notes um, regarding her genetic uh, alterations which he is currently like I, th- I think you only see that there are genetic alterations at all is because he's currently actively taking notes uh, regarding the uh, regen- uh, regeneration trait that had been recently implemented apparently so she's a human who's been altered oh, i i was saying that in character so that he, so he knows i'm reading it his eyes flit up uh to look at you then back to the screen a couple swipes and the privacy screen is up ah, <laughs> I see. uh he tucks this um he tucks his pad uh into his lab coat and says a clone that's been genetically modified. Using bioroid technology to do it, it looks like. Uh, experimental bioroid technology. Beyond the point there. I'm guessing you perhaps worked with uh, Gusum Foundation's uh, bioroid manufacturing department. Uh, I was the bioroid manufacturing department. Oh, I had been under the impression that they had a whole team, uh, but I suppose you must be a one-man team. Brilliant as well, if you've managed to piece this together. He's, uh, at this point, it's kind of hard to tell how sincere he is. Um, he's definitely taken on like a very professional tone that's only marred by the fact that he's slurring his words just a tiny bit from the wine that he drank earlier. I, uh, I smile at him and I said, that was a different life, though. I think you know what it is. I think they hired a whole small team to replace you when you left. That must be what I'm remembering. I started to uh I started to work closer with your former division more and more uh before I left in the months prior before I left myself. So I suppose that would be a couple of years after you've left. So tell me Corbin Jones, what is a man of your intelligence? doing running around in the fringes surely any company would be paying you more than the universal wage could be living a life of luxury right now it's a complicated question but i realized that the companies they have their own best interests at heart and it became too much for me and uh i left and they didn't like that now I realize there must be something else going on here. Not not with the companies, just on this place, this planet. So 
trying to find out what it is. He arcs an eyebrow and says, Tell me, uh, Mr. Jones, when was the last time you caught any sightings of the news? Uh, do I look like a man who watches the news? Well, you don't smell like one, either. <laughs> Fair. He turns uh, turns away from you to reach into uh, a little box that seems to just have like a bunch of knickknacks and stuff. The audience can definitely take note that the box itself uh, has the Reinhardt Research Hub logo on it. But he produces from the box a clicker that he uses to turn on the nearby monitor. The footage looks like it's timestamped from earlier in the day. Our uh, antenna was knocked out uh, from recent events that's been transpiring at the outpost. Uh, but this was taken earlier today, and he hits play. A news anchor is speaking now. There's obviously still a lot of ridiculous graphics uh, that you see flying across the screen for this news station, right? But one thing is very clear with all the scrolling text and with the uh, news anchor addressing uh, you. There, There's like a small picture-in-picture picture image of an explosion uh, in the magenta skies above um, Stepping Stone. Uh, and yeah, I, this is you first time hearing the news that the uh, that there was an explosion on the aspiration uh how does uh, corbin feel about that like what's his immediate emotions i think disbelief like i think i mean not that he was paying too much attention about it but i think he would know about about it you know yeah about the aspiration. i mean yeah you do know about the aspiration everyone yeah. knows about the aspiration so i mean i mean this is me asking i must have been in the cave you know when this was happening because if it happened in the sky i would have seen it uh this in terms of like timing and stuff this is like literally happening earlier that morning when you were staring down the hole trying to catch space rabbits oh okay cool and just like just in general like this part of the fringes has like a very thick canopy overhead okay. um in general so yeah, unless you were like actively like looking towards the sky at the time, um, you might not have seen it. Why? I think that's all he says. While you're watching the screen, he's been watching you uh, this entire time as the news unfolds, right? And he's basically trying to gauge your reaction. Certain events have been in play for years. This is the culminations of it. I... I have to be honest with you, Mr. Jones. I have played a hand in this. Small hand. Uh, but I will admit uh, that I have sorely regretted these actions. And I'm working with her to fix it. Wait. W wait. Wait, 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 wait. You're telling me that that, and Corbin points to the screen, was deliberately planned... By some company or some entity that is comprised of human beings. Well, at this point, I would say mostly human. He glances over to uh, Black Leopard, who is still unconscious on the table. At this point, her wounds have sewed up. Mm -hmm. Her vitals have stabilized, uh, but she's still knocked out. What? What were you people thinking? And I think at this point, like... As as he's sort of realizing what's going on, 
uh, Corbin is getting a little more heated, maybe a little more physical, you know, like stepping towards the doctor. Yeah, this actually causes him to back up uh, into the counter that had that box of knickknacks, causing that to like actually spill over. He says, we were planning for the worst. Yet understand, I was led to believe that everything we were doing was to ensure our survival. You don't think that's something we need to understand? I was only playing my part. I can see now that my part has led into something worse. Something, something that is more than just the aspiration uh, blowing up. And at this time, he glances over at a nearby clock. The Renewed is probably also out of commission. I realized too late that I've been working for a madman. This isn't the work of any single company or entity. And he tries to turn away from you. He's trying to go for the Carl's largely untouched glass of wine because obviously Carl can't actually drink it. I grab him and turn him towards me. Finish that thought. He stares wide-eyed to your own eyes. He generally has like youthful appearance despite his age, but here you can see the years have actually not been too kind to him. Mm-hmm. Do you know how many people it takes to mold 30 years of our society? 13. It takes 13 men and women who thought they knew better than everyone else to come together to do this, and he points to the screen. And to do this, he points to Black Leopard. What we were doing was trying to take the reins back from this world who clearly has more leverage than us. This is not a metaphor as it was on old earth. People used to say all the time, you were perhaps a little too young, that we were a plague, a virus onto the old world. Here, it's quite literal. I don't know all the details. Only my spoke in this wheel that's turning. And please, let your hands off of me so I can wake Black Leopard. He goes over. He removes the uh, needle um, and takes out a uh, separate needleless uh, injector that he then presses against Black Leopard's uh, side of her neck. Um, with the press of the button, uh, her eyes flit open and she sits up uh, as if nothing ever happened. Uh, she slowly looks around, trying to gauge her surroundings and uh, that's when the doctor, as calm as he can, um, he's a little disheveled right now from your interaction, yeah. says, Maddie, it's, it's okay. We're safe right now. I think Carl's been just watching quietly in the corner this entire time. Evidently, he's found a couple more cans to smash. Um, I think I'm just going to say to him, Doc, you basically uh, described the main reason why I decided to leave society and live in the fringe. At least the nature of this place makes sense to me. Does it now? Does it make sense to you that a world at war with itself would take kindly to a single tick living off of its resources here in the woods? You think you'd be safe for very long. You may have managed to escape society, but after this, and he points again to the now pods screen of the uh, 
Aspiration Explosion news. Because this it doesn't stop here. This is only the first in a long line of events that's going to consume everybody and everything if even one misstep happens. At this point, um, Black Leopard, aka Maddie, uh, evidently, uh, slides off of her desk. Like Carl, testing out uh, his new arm, she's now checking herself for her own wounds, uh, making sure all the full range of emotions is there. Um, I don't think I'd do anything. I think think I'm just standing there. Doc is going to uh, begin putting stuff into a box. She's going to spend several minutes doing this. Carl uh, is just examining more random knickknacks along the wall. And I, I guess I just asked the doctor, um, so what What happens now? You said you had regrets. What are you doing about it? He glances over his shoulder. Uh, I can't imagine you two are like standing closer together while Maddie and Carl are uh, farther away, right? And so he glances over his shoulder to look at Maddie, uh, but whispers to you, I'm going to let Black Leopard here do what she does best. What she was uh, designed to do. Which is? Neutralize threats. Except uh, (sighs) she's going to be neutralizing this this cabal that uh, is responsible for the aspirations. And I'm going to help her. Normally she has a whole team to help her. She requires a lot of maintenance. Uh, Not unlike your Byroids back at Goodson Foundation. Has Carl been paying attention to any of this? I want to get his thoughts on what's happening. I mean, he has appeared distracted, but I mean, Byroids can process their surroundings better, right? Um, so you can you can ask him. Um, at this point, he has uh, made a full lap around the room and is actually now approaching the two of you. Uh, in his hands um, is a small, it's like a palm-sized robot dog. <laughs> and he uh, inquires... I'm sorry, but what actual purpose could this have um, related to your research here? I think Dr. Uh, Irving just snatches the dog from his palm and puts it in the box with like the rest of his things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you, you wanted to ask his thoughts, right? Yeah, I, I Carl, I know you've been testing out the new uh, new parts and, and whatnot, but... Uh... I know you've also been listening. What, what do you think about this situation? What are you, what are your what are you going to do? I think he gives you a very stone cold look. He says, "I'm going to try to return to my shelter. I have other plans. We have other plans." And he says that last part like looking away, um very like fondly actually. Hmm. We you could come if you'd like. I think the circle would probably enjoy having a pet human. <laughs> pet? Carl, I thought we were friends. He smiles. Well, friends joke with one another, right? Ah, uh, you got me. I plan on going home, <laughs> Corbin Jones. I plan on figuring out where my people are at, what they are doing. If they manage to do the things that they aspired to do, and I was just going to take it from there. If if uh, Orson here 
turns out to be right, that um, something bigger is going on here. I think uh, whether you're human or bioroid, we're all going to be affected. So do you think your friends would be willing to help if it came to it, provided they felt they could trust at least one one of us humans? I think it would depend on who is in charge now. When I left, our community was steeped with internal strife. Embarrassed to say, I suppose in our efforts, in our initial efforts to appear and act more human, we seem to have brought that, uh, brought the negative qualities into our fold. We couldn't mm. come to any sort of agreements back then. Things were changing, so it was hard to say. I would say with the last administration, if they are still in charge of the community, I do not think they would be too inclined to. What did you find this robot of yours? Uh, you mean Carl. Uh, we met in a, in a, in a cave uh, as I was running from other creatures of the forest. I think Carl explains uh, to Dr. Irving, he has quite the pension, uh, more so than any other human that I've met, uh, to continue running into some sort of trouble or issue. <laughs> if you only knew, Carl. At this point, um, Black Leopard, a.k.a. Maddie, mm-hmm. joins this little conversation circle. She crosses her arms, talking just directly to Dr. Irving, as if you and Carl do not exist. Do you want me to... And she just kind of does this gesture with her head, uh, clearly indicating the two of you. Orson holds up his hand and says, no, that won't be necessary yet. And yeah, he he kind of just, he, he literally just like leaves it at that as he gives you the side eye and walks with Maddie um, to a different part of this underground research bunker, leaving you and Carl by yourself. Carl watches them as uh, they cross the room, and he quietly says, although I do not know how mine would react to your presence, you are more than welcome to join, but I am beginning to sense that I am no longer welcomed here. I will be leaving here promptly. I have managed to... Well, in my time here, download uh, much-needed up-to-date information as to the happenings here on Janus. I have to say, I'm pretty surprised. I think I'll take you up on your offer, Carl. It's unlikely I'd be welcome here with the Doctor and Maddie for too long, considering I think we have differing opinions on his role in events. I'm inclined to agree. If Maddie or Black Leopard, whatever name she chooses for herself, do, well, actually, do you think I could choose multiple names for myself? I suppose this is something I haven't contemplated. I'll need to remember that for later. I think it depends. I think it depends on uh, how human you want to see him. Oh, hmm. I'm still trying to decide that for myself. Once I have a moment to dig through the information I've gathered here. I think I will make a choice. If it if it helps, humans have two or three names. First name, middle name, last name. Oh, I know that. I've been living under a rock. Well, I suppose I have. <laughs> Nevertheless, if she has neutralized the threats outside, 
Uh, perhaps you should acquire that environmental suit, and we should be on our way. Uh, I go and do it. Okay. I think it's a few minutes later. Uh, the two of you are climbing back up the ladder here. Uh, we have a final shot of... I think the doctor is trying to busy himself, uh, but Maddie uh, basically saunters over to the ladder and watches as you two leave arms folded and our last shot of these two characters are them uh, sharing a look after after you and Carl uh, escape through the hatch all music and art provided for the show was done by Solid, aka James who can be found in the show notes if you would like to keep up with the latest Starshot news follow us on Twitter at StarshotPod we hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you among the stars.